everyone, and welcome to episode two of Morris Call with me, Cheesy, and my good friend Ollie Windle. Hello, Ollie. Hello. Hi, Cheesy. How are you doing? Very good, mate. How's your week been? It's all right. So I'm just going to point out for anybody listening that we're still very much doing our, our socially distanced uh, podcast. We're not sitting in the same room or anything. Uh, I'm, I'm currently, currently at work at the moment. Don't tell the boss. Uh, in Coventry. Whereabouts are you? I am sat in my parents' loft conversion as I'm on holiday this week. So, uh, yeah, enjoying the view and, uh, yeah, chatting to you. So, can't all be that bad. Awesome. Happy days. Have you have you done anything Morris-related this week at all? Um, apart from talking to some Morrissey friends and obviously doing this podcast, not really. Um, I will say, though, I have been building up my stamina. I, mem- I mentioned last time I'm working on the Couch to 5K programme. I'm on yeah. week four now, so I'm running for approximately 16 minutes in a half hour period with rest breaks in between and actually i'm really surprised at how easy i'm progressing on this and i've got to say to anyone who's looking to up their fitness game in the post lockdown uh, what's the word world uh, i can highly recommend it i think there's a, well, there's a couple of apps out there aren't they which one are you using is it the, the Specifically, bbc one i'm using yeah i'm using the bbc one yeah it's it's and i got to say it's a fantastic one because you obviously have the trainers on there and you can have your music playing uh, or uh, radio podcasts or whatever and it will cut in at the right moments to tell you what to do when and it's brilliant you know it's done me down at the ground so i've heard, I've heard to, really good things about it to be fair. listening to a lot of uh, celtic folk right now in the running which is really good for the pace i've got to say well, do you know what that was going to be my question was what are you listening to uh, Celtic uh, folk, Doobie Brothers, um, and uh, a lot of country and western as well. That's that's an eclectic thing you've got going on there. It is. And before before anyone sends the hate mail, I have loved country and western for quite a long time, and I consider it augments a lot of the folk music in this country as well. So that's my opinion, and I'm sticking with it. <laughs> so who's your favourite country and western artist then, Cheesy? Uh, Tim McGraw is up there. Um, Brad Paisley, and I'm trying to think of another one. Uh, some of the Jerry Reed stuff's quite good from the old days. Oh, and of course, uh, the great legend that is Willie Nelson. I, I think I've heard of two out of the four. I think. Oh, and um, the other one, uh, Miranda Lambert, I think her name is. A beautiful voice. Fantastic music. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm definitely out of the game now. All yeah, I know sure. about any of those people you just mentioned, I think Tim McGraw's got a barbecue stain on his white T-shirt, hasn't he? I have no idea. <laughs> oh, I've got to say, like... actually, the, the other thing is nice to see. There is a lot of uh, British acts coming in as well for the country music. So the likes of uh, Warden Thomas, uh, the Shires, some fantastic stuff out there. Do you know, if it was possible, it's, it does sound a little bit like you've got shares in country music. I haven't, for the purposes of the tape. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Fair. So uh, aside from getting yourself fit and I presume the occasional... Uh, Skype slash Zoom kind of uh, dalliance. There's there's not been a lot of Morris in your life then recently. No, like everyone else, obviously we're waiting for things to uh, change with the lockdown and uh, yeah, wait waiting for that wonderful day where we can all start meeting up again properly. Well, I'm uh, I'm looking forward to um, Anchor's latest plan, which is uh, socially distanced practice. Yes. Uh, which is going to likely be taking place in my mum and dad's garden because uh, dad being a vicar they've got a, a lovely big vicarage garden so hopefully um it's supposed to be last night their first one but uh, obviously it's been hoofing it down uh, yeah it's very wet, so, 
yeah, not been uh, not been the slightest chance of it happening. So if it, if it works well with Anchor, fingers crossed, uh, we might be able to get get Nightlow up and moving as well and uh, see a few of the lads face to face. It's probably it's probably worth stressing for the listeners that uh, Anchor are doing this with full social distancing practice in mind, of course. Oh yeah, 100%. yeah, yeah, absolutely. And how about you, Ollie? Have you been doing anything particularly Morrissey this week? Um, just a few Skype, Zoomy chats with people and. Uh, that sort of thing. Um, no actual dancing are out yet, but uh, fingers crossed that time's getting a bit closer as soon as it gets a bit safer. But uh, yeah, I've even been a bit quiet on the uh, social networks and whatnot because I've uh, been, been sitting back and watching what's been going on because it's been, been yes. quite a week, isn't it? It has in many respects. It's worth mentioning for the uh, listener who's not necessarily as engaged with the Morris world as we are, um, that there's been a big announcement this week from the uh, Joint Morris Organisation, which is the free organisation for Morris in the UK, the Morris Ring, the Morris Federation and the Morris Open, that they will no longer support the use of blackface makeup in uh, Morris at all. Yeah, quite a big change. I mean, such a big change that we delayed uh, this podcast coming out because we were... Yes. Ready to ready to record with a, uh, a coronavirus uh, episode, as in sort of how are people coping with with lockdown? What's everybody up to? That kind of thing. Um, but we decided that we we really should be talking about things that are topical in Morris, and uh, and I'd say this is probably probably the biggest change that I can think of uh, in recent years since uh, the Morris Ring changed its constitution uh, to remove any sort of language about gender so opening up membership to um mixed and, and female sides yeah um and i think it's that to was, say actually with that that was only for the morris ring there wasn't it and this is the first yeah, time really since, since i've entered the morris world we've had such a fundamental um review of how morris is performed in the uk and across all three organizations yeah yeah i think um, it's important to say this is a very sensitive subject and we do appreciate and we hope that um, by doing this episode that we can try and increase the understanding of both the casual uh, observer of Morris and also the more ingrained uh, personalities within the Morris world. And we're trying to get our what's the word, some better understanding about the sequence of events that brought us to where we are now and to try and put to rest some of the fears that have been coming out recently, because there's been a lot of chatter on social media, hasn't there, about this? Oh, absolutely loads. Yeah, it's it's, uh, it's really, I think there are probably, I don't know, I'd, I'd say in the region of four or five sort of main Morris groups on, on Facebook. And obviously this has been yeah. quite a discussion oh, point across all. Um, and there's, you know, like you say, it's a sensitive subject, but it's it's one that we need to, we need to be talking about really, because yeah. it, it we affects. We need to have an open and mature discussion, all, yeah. Absolutely. And uh, I think not only from the perspective of, you know, right and wrong, um, yep. which I think is, you know, the whole the main underpinning um, theme of the entire, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? The, you know, the, the movement to, to remove blackface makeup. But I think also, you know, you have to face facts that there's, like you say, there's a, a lot of, I think anger might even be the right word from, from people who do view it as a legitimate tradition um and maybe probably a little bit of confusion as to where uh, everyone's going from here you know what what happens moving forward and i think the important thing to say is um 
I do have a vested interest here because I am a area representative for the Morris Ring, and I'm also a member of a team who has used black face paint in the past. Um, whether we will in the future, that is still yet to be determined, but I am waiting to see what happens next with that. And in the past, I never really thought about it, to be truthful. But looking at it now, I understand that um, there are people out there who are genuinely hurt by people using that kind of face paint without any kind of understanding of the history of um, its, its use in other contexts. And yeah, I think it's a conversation that we need to have. And I really hope that by doing this, that I can improve my understanding of the issue. And also we can introduce our listeners to some wider um, context to understand why this has happened. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I'm, I've got to say that I am, um, I'm pro the move. I think it's, it's the best thing. Um, you know, I, I, because if you view it from your perception and say, well, I'm not being racist. This is, um, this is our tradition and I don't see how it should offend anybody. You've got to flip that on your head and say, well, actually, you know, the people perceiving it are being offended by it. And that should really be enough in my opinion. And, you know, we're not sitting here as the sort of arbiters of what's right and wrong in Morris. Absolutely not. We have nowhere near that sort of a level of authority on this God, podcast. No, absolutely not. We're, we're just talking to people about Morris and, yeah. um, you know, quite naturally two two chaps talking about, um, you know, something that they're passionate about, their opinions are going to come out. And mine is, personally speaking, that if it's enough to cause another individual that level of offence, then, OK, that's that's the point where you need to start thinking, is there another way? Is there an alternative to it? Yeah. And I think um, to say is here, there is a way forward from this. And... They're not banning. They're not banning the use of face paint outright. They're just asking people to consider using other shades. And I think yeah, that's absolutely. not word beyond the pale, as it were. And no. there are there are many what's the word understandable reasons why people use it. And I think that conversation is going to happen going forward with the free organisations. And I think um, we'll just talk about we'll talk about this a bit more in the next segment. But it's not a done deal this is still an evolving situation so we want to give it the sensitivity and the understanding that it really needs yeah yeah and i think uh you know in search of uh, a bit of clarification about uh, what's going on um we've uh, decided that our guest this week uh, we'd invite eddie worrell um, chairman of the advisory council of the of the Morris Ring, ex squire of the Ring, of course, of uh, of Saddle with Morris men. Um, we've invited Eddie to come onto the program to talk to us about it. Yeah, we had a really good conversation, really, didn't we? And uh, I hope you guys enjoy it as much as we enjoyed recording it. Yeah, absolutely. So hopefully, uh, the next segment uh, you'll be able to hear Eddie. Hopefully, be able to answer some of the questions that you got going on. Um, like we said, we're, we're, I think we're, it's fair to say we're both pro. Yeah, and I think it's important to say we agree with it with the current contexts. Um, the interview that follows hopefully will put some more meat on that, but uh, yeah, I think we agree with the decision that's been made at this time. Yeah, so I'm hearing some concerns as well um, arising from the process 
uh, around which the decision's been made. So we're, we're going to ask Eddie some, um, hopefully, some reasonably challenging questions around the around the process. You know, does the ring have the remit to uh, make this sort of imposition on its on its membership? That kind of thing. So um, hopefully, that'll shed some light on on their situation as a whole for people. Yeah, and I think it's important to say actually, Eddie agreed to do this interview with the provisor that we made it clear that he is purely commenting from his point of view as advisory ch council chair for the Morris Ring. Um, he cannot comment upon the JMO and that's right and proper because he's not necessarily involved in the JMO decisions. So uh, he, it's a long one today, guys, I must admit, but bear with us and uh, we'll be back next week with a coronavirus, coronavirus review and we'll now go over to us and Eddie. So here we are with Ed Worrell, Chairman of the Advisory Council to the Morris Ring and former Squire of Same. Good evening, Eddie. Good evening, Pete. How are you doing, mate? Very good. Yourself. It's good to see your face again after so long. <laughs> Even if only virtually on a computer well, screen. Well, yes. We have to make allowances in the circumstances. Yeah, it's all probably, uh, yeah, I probably look my best, to be honest, and, you know, in a virtual form. <laughs> <laughs> so, nice and easy opening question. Uh, how did you get into Morris? It's all my brother's fault, actually. Um, yeah, yeah I, I still blame him all these years later. Um, my brother dances with Green Oak Morris in Doncaster, uh, where uh, I'm from. And growing up there, I was about 13 when my brother started dancing. He's about seven years older than me. Um, so I spent my teenage years merrily taking the mick out of him for being a Morris dancer. Um, until around about the age of 16, 17, when I kind of realised that he seemed to spend an awful lot of time around pubs, which were becoming very interesting places at that time. <laughs> but I wasn't tempted quite then, but um, moved away university and, and work and what have you. And I ended up, up back in Doncaster when I was about 25. Right. Um, went to a party at my brother's house within the, the first couple of weeks of being back. And the next Wednesday, I was suddenly at a Morris practice, thinking I was going out for a beer. <laughs> and I think I'd, I'd learnt um, a Headington dance by the end of the evening. And that was kind of it, really. Fantastic. Did you get the beer, though? That's the question. They did buy me a beer. I blessed them. It's the only one they ever bought me, but they did buy me that one. <laughs> In how long? Oh, it's been 20, about 24 years now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was a hard lesson to learn, mate. Well, you know, it's under the uh, under the belt now in terms of experiences, I suppose, isn't it? Never, it is. never trust a Morris man. Uh, absolutely. As far as you can <laughs> chuck him. So, no rush cart this year. No, sadly, uh, I mean, like so many things in life um, around the country, around the world, really, it's it's just become impossible uh, to run events with mass crowds, mass participation, I mean, nothing else. I mean, no Morris sides are actually really practicing. So nobody's going to be really tip top for dancing anyway, at least of all Saddleworth. Um, so it was a difficult decision, but an easy one at the same time, if that makes sense. Um and like a lot of festivals and other Morris events, you know, by getting ahead of it in good time, making the decision, you're preserving the event for the next year when hopefully things are going to be back up to scratch. Yeah, here's hoping. Fingers crossed. I mean, to me, it's my FA Cup final, the Saddle with Rushcart. <laughs> Do you ever win, you know, mate? Do you ever win or is it a score draw? <laughs> uh, well, it's been a score draw every year, I think. But, uh... <laughs> every Everyone's a winner at Saddle with Rushcart. That's uh, true. That's true. Especially on the good weekends. 
Excellent. It's, it's yeah. Real weather. Well, next time you're up and it's lashing with rain, I'll, rem- I'll remind you of that, that particular quote. <laughs> Do you know what I remember? And we haven't mentioned yet that Eddie is uh, a member of Saddleworth Morris Men, of course, which you probably probably gleaned if you're listening. Um, but one of my uh, most memorable memories, if you like, from the rush cart um, was when the with the long drag we used to have to pull this ton of weeds on a cart um, for what a good mile and a half on the last run because uh, the last run used to be Delft, didn't it, to Upper Mill, which is what about a mile and a half, two miles. Yeah, it's about it's about two miles. Yeah, and uh, it was hoofing it down. I can't remember what year, uh, but I was in whites because I was with East Kent at the time. Uh, everything ran. My white horse of Kent on my uh, Baldrick's turned into the pink horse of Kent, and uh, we just got back <laughs> absolutely soaking. Uh, put all the stangs back on the cart, which for those uh, not in the know, are the things that you pull it with. And uh, one of your mob from Saddleworth just got off a bus. Outside the commercial, absolutely dry as a bone. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember who it was, to be honest, but... Uh... A wise man, that's all you need to know. Yeah, well, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Funny enough, uh, we don't do it that way around in the afternoon anymore. Um, and again, just for clarity, for people who've not been, it's it's a, it's about a nine-mile procession with the rush cart and everybody pulling the rush cart during the Saturday and we, we go to various villages stop, have dance spots and move on so you do it in stages but it's about nine miles in total and after lunch in Upper Mill we used to set off um, up to the navigation then into Dob Cross to Delft and back from Delft which is the, the stretch you're talking about, that long drag on the yeah. flat but the trouble is we found as time went on that some never got out of the pub in Dob Cross <laughs> even more never got out of the pub in Delft and only the diehards were actually pulling the cart back two miles at the end of the day. So one rush cart meeting about 10 or 12 years ago, we said, do you know what? We're going to make them walk to Delft and then make them walk <laughs> up the hill to Dobcross and then down the hills for navigation. By the time they've done that, they're nearly back in Upper Mill anyway. Yeah. And ever since, we've kept more people on the cart. So all yeah. psychology. I think it works better this way, Ryan. And to be fair, this year was going to be quite a momentous year as well, wasn't it? It was, yeah. It's after the um, sort of changes in the Morris Ring back in 2018, um, when I was squire, uh, as Paul uh, Pete was saying. I don't know, he called you Paul then. Um, the um, the side had run rush cart right from the, the start back in the 70s as a men's dance side event. Um, that wasn't necessarily uncommon back in those days, um, and it stayed that way partly because as an event, a lot of people came year on year. So it was your mates turning up and it was a virtually the same kind of size coming most years with some extras and bits and pieces. But after the, the ring changed, the, the side looked at it and said, we're going to take a year out, just drop back and just look at this. Um, had a meeting about it, you know, talked about opening it up. Because as a side, we were out dancing regularly with mixed and women's teams who we really rated. Um, and we kind of all thought, do you know what? We the, we think they ought to come to Rush Cup. So pretty much it wasn't absolutely unanimous, but it was near as. Um, so the uh, invitation policy changed, and this year was going to be the first year where that was going to apply. And we had a number of teams coming who were, you know, new to Rush Cup and, and looking forward to it. Well, yeah. I've got to say, my other half uh, was looking forward to it particularly because she dances with Kinnerwood, who... Mm. Uh, 
had received an invitation from yourselves. So it was going to be the first year, obviously, we were both going to be uh, dancing at the rush cart. So uh, mm. we'll, have to wait, we'll have to wait till next year now. But I'm sure it'll all roll over into next year for the invites. So you, you're definitely coming back next time, mate. Well, if you think about it, you're going to have a lot of people who are agreeing to the rush cart turning up so we can get them to pull it and we can stop in the pub in Dobcross. <laughs> Do you know what? I think that's a plan. And I've just broadcast that to the Morris world. Now. <laughs> Only the ones that listen to this, don't worry. Oh, just, be, just, between, just between you and me, Ollie, it's fine. Shh, don't tell anybody. It's got to be said, actually, with Rush Cart, it's a fantastic event, purely because you get such great support from community as a whole. You really get around all the various dance spots and just the crowds of people that come out to show you. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 often been said, but it's it's an overnight success that's taken forty six years really to, <laughs> to be like this. I think in the in the first few years, it was seen as a bit of a what the heck are they doing that for? It's a, it's a pain, um, like anything new. Um, but yeah, it, it's been really been embraced, and I think that's it's partly down to the fact that everyone likes a free show, especially in Yorkshire, where of course Saddleworth is. I have to say that, um, of course. But also, it's something which was happening in Saddleworth until the ni- early 1920s. And when it restarted in the 70s, it was still living memory. There were things collected from people at that time who'd taken part in it as, you know, as kids, really, I suppose, teenagers. Um, it's a real part of Saddleworth's history that's back on, uh, on show, as it were. Um, and it comes at the end of the summer, and it's kind of like just before the kids go back to school. So it's a great day out for the kids to come and watch you know, Morris dancers leaping around, making fools of themselves. It's all good fun. It's a very family-orientated event, really, these days. Um, and the lovely thing uh, that I didn't know for a long time after I joined the team is that they there's a cycle of events happening in Saddleworth, like Whit Friday Brass Contest and various other things. And they do projects on all this stuff at the primary schools locally. And there's a, virtually, I think, every village in Saddleworth has its own primary school. And they all get them doing collages about the rush cart when they get back to school. And they're learning about its history. And it's kind of like really lovely that you've got an event like that that means something to a community. I think it's fantastic. I mean, speaking as a squire of a, what is a fairly young team, but nonetheless, um, I'm always massively envious of uh, Saddleworth in the way that you guys link to the community. I think it's absolutely brilliant. I I think you do it like no other side does it, to be fair. Yeah, and, and I think we're sort of probably blessed to some extent that um, quite a lot of the lads uh, are local lads or, or live locally. Um, you know, in latter years, we've had, you know, people down, uh, joining to dance in their sort of mid-20s who've all grown up locally and they've been watching it since they were toddlers. Um, you know, and you can't buy that kind of connection um, when it comes to Morris and community. Very true. Very, very true. So... Uh, moving on to, I suppose, part two of this uh, little chat between the three of us. Hmm. Um, it's obviously been a very busy week in the Morris world, mainly because of a statement released by the JMO on Friday stating that they would no longer support the use of blackface in the world of Morris. And we wanted to ask you a couple of questions about that, if that's all right, Ed. Um, sure. Really, I suppose the first one that comes to the list is, why was the decision made to make this now? Yeah, I, I think... I suppose, like we've been saying already about Rushcart being, you know, a success that's taken 46 years to to achieve. Um, this is a decision and a, a, a kind of a point that's been reached that's been many years in the making. Um, when I was first squire elect, actually, for the Morris Ring, which is end of 2015, uh, and Dunstan in 2016, um, that summer there'd been 
some real problems at the Shrewsbury Folk Festival, um, where there'd been um, allegations made against the festival itself um, and against Shropshire Bedlams, who at that time used blackface as part of their or blackface paint as part of their, their kit, um, and the Morris Federation, to whom Shropshire Bedlams belonged. And th- this was based on um, effectively a, a potential um, legal action being taken against all of those three um, for racial harassment under the Equality Act, which came into force back in 2011, which for those who were around at the time will remember was at the heart of driving change in the Morris Ring back then about women musicians uh, and how that needed to be treated. Um, the, the basis of the harassment, it was taken, uh, I suppose, a case taken up by an organisation called Fresh, or an equality advocacy group in Shropshire. Um, and, but essentially, the, the, the claim is that if you're doing an activity which um, is perceived by the person seeing it as racially harassing, and that's effectively mimicking your know, racial characteristics, um, then that gives rise to a claim. The defence to it then is, was it reasonable that you were doing it in the first place? And that was the centre of the argument. There was never a resolution to that, partly because, not unsurprisingly, I think really looking back, Shropshire Bedlam's dropped it immediately and adopted wearing a mask. Um, they sidestepped the whole thing. This is a side set up by John Kirkpatrick, of course, mm. who, who championed the use of this kind of face painting kit back in the 70s when he set the Shropshire Bedlam's up, having done research into local dancing in that area. So they just completely sidestepped that. Um, the folk festival itself adopted a changed attitude or changed booking policy. And Sandra Surtees, who was the, the dance director and still is, I think, at, at um, Shrewsbury, took an awful lot of vitriolic flack for that um, at the time. And it was quite fraught. And, and the Federation were also having to take legal advice and there were, there were real threats at the time. Um, and that was back in 2015 when this was happening. And it was still going on into 2016 when I was squire elect and going to, starting to go to GMO committee meetings. Um, and since that time, it's, it's probably been quite clear that that sort of event, although it didn't happen then, was going to come at some point. It was a question of quite what was going to happen and when. Um, and there's been a succession of statements, turning to the Maurice Ring particularly, succession of statements going back to Adam Garland when he was squire before me um, back in sort of late summer August time 2016 he put a statement out advising member clubs in the ring to take this matter seriously and that whilst nobody was intending to be racist that's not the the whole issue it's just not what you intend it's how it's perceived which was the, the lesson learned from Shrewsbury um, Shrew- Shrewsbury Folk Festival um, as I danced in in the September of that year, September 2016, uh, there was another statement I put out in December of that year. Uh, Nigel Strudwick, who, who's with Devil's Dyke and is the East Area Rep for the Ring, uh, and also a, an Egyptologist by trade and an academic, um, I asked him to do a bit of a review, really, as to the, the historical references which people were bandying around to justify its use. Just really to kind of nail down some source material so people could actually see it rather than just rely on what somebody said to them down the pub or hearsay or some foundation myth of a side from decades past, go back and read this and actually, does this really make sense? Um, and that's been an ongoing thing and there's been various blow-ups of this in the media. Uh, you know, David Cameron being photographed posing with the team, that blew it up. Um, last year, the, the Settle Folk Gathering hit problems 
um, I think it was the Flagcrackers of Craven in that instance, mm. they were also um, out on a day of dance in Leeds city centre uh, with um, the side from uh, Oakworth, I think it was Oakworth or Great Yorkshire. Um, and they were asked to leave the city centre by the city centre partnership because there'd been complaints from the public. Um, and this has been running on and on and on. And it got to the point last October when I danced out as Squire and Pete Simpson, of course, was Squire by this time. Um, so this is the, already the third Squire that's been looking at this. Uh, and he asked the advisory council to, to review the whole history of what had happened to date, where matters stood. This is following the settle folk gathering problems, which made it onto you know, national TV, Good Morning and all of that. Mm. Um, and there was a, a report which, as, as chair, I put together with the advisory council members, which culminated in a kind of a one-page advice, bringing it together in pretty much bullet points for, for member size, um, which was issued back then to size and was made more publicly available on the website in March following discussion at the ARM uh, advisory council meeting. Um, which is really saying pretty clearly to sides, get your house in, in order if you've not done so already, because this is really difficult and it's going to hit you. We don't know how or when, but when it does, you're going to have to be really ready for this because it's going to be horrendous. Um, lockdown then came and of course, nobody's been out dancing no. uh, since March. Um, so you would think it's a quiet time and really there's no issue, but of course, you know, that's not how the world works. And the big flashpoint really has been, of course, the death of George Floyd in America um, back at the end of May, um, which, as these things always do, takes time for it to sink into the consciousness, I think, of, of society about quite what it means. And, of course, it sparked all kinds of really, in some places, violent protest, um, some real searching questions about cultural ref references and representation of uh, BAME people, whether it's statues, whether it's old uh, TV programs which have been scratched off iPlayer because actually when you look back at it now, maybe it wasn't such a good idea to quite use that sort of metaphor for comedy. Um, and of course, this issue of using black face paint in Morris Kit is part of that. It's part of the same cultural reference that's, that's been questioned quite strongly by sections of society, people who are affected by it, people are advocating for those kind of cultural structural things of which Morris is part, to take into account real concerns about um, perceived racism by people who are seeing it, um, whether it's intended or not. Nobody perhaps intended Little Britain, for example, as a comedy show to be racist, but it can be perceived as such. And that was the real problem, which is exactly, of course, linking it right back to the Equality Act and how harassment is judged. Um, so in that context, um, that's bad enough, perhaps, but you then have the counter-protests to all this and the, the, the kind of reactionary flow of events against that kind of call for there to be some kind of cultural reckoning about how this issue is approached. It's not just a joke. It's not something flippant. It has real effects on people. Um, and you see, you know, people guarding, you know, statues in town centres in case somebody comes along and wants to topple statue of Baden-Powell or something, you know, it's never going to happen. But it's, it's symbols being latched onto by essentially the far right um, under the banner of White Lives Matter, uh, which is a thing that you see. You put all that together um, 
And there was a clear recognition amongst the JMO organisations, the, the Morris Ring, Morris Federation, the Open Morris, that if Morris sides had been out dancing in the middle of that, doing this, there would have been absolute pandemonium somewhere. The kind of thing which we hadn't seen yet in terms of real potential violence happening um, and attracting counter violence, um, you know, as much as people might guard a statue, you know, you can imagine the far right turning out to defend Morris dancers in the middle of a city centre from because somebody might turn up and protest about, you know, them being stopped from doing something. It was clear that was potentially would have happened in that moment. And we were just lucky, in a sense, that nobody was out dancing. But the question wasn't going away. And it was just, I think, an issue suspended, not avoided. And it was something, as a result, the GMO wanted to come together and talk about this in emergency committee, which it did, um, I think think it was about the 20th of June, it's a few weeks ago now. And this was looked at, and there was a clear appetite to take this matter onto another step because there'd been, it was certainly felt, a decisive shift in how this has been viewed on how it would be viewed when sides are back out dancing now. Um, and the position that we've got to was developed from that, really. It was clearly felt immediately that there had to be un, un, unanimity, really, in the JMO as to how they approach this. You can't have one organisation saying one thing and one another because the whole of Morris suffers from that. Um, so the statement was looked at, and it was clear that all organisations felt that the time had to be called on this before there was some serious either legal problems uh, or injury or damage, um, such as we would not most likely have a hope in hell of the insurers wanting to back us, given the the changed risk profile for something like this. Um, and essentially, there was a responsibility to lead on this, uh, and that's what we've done. Each organisation, of course, is different, has its own structures and its own cycles um, of annual meetings, and that's going to play out, I think, now as to how organisations look at implementing this. But there's no doubt the, the ring officers um, felt very strongly that they needed to give a clear indication of how they saw the issue, how long this had been going on, and just how much space side had been given to look at this, to review what they'd been doing, to see if they really could could make a, a convincing case and make that case publicly. And really, nobody's done that. Um, you know, the, the issue is no further on in terms of how it's looked at than it was back in 2015 when I first seriously started looking at this. Um, there's a lot of myths in Morris. We all know that. The favourite one when I started dancing was it was all pagan. Um, and you got that every time you danced out. And it was like, oh, it's all pagan. You know, uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's all pre-Christian myths and this kind of stuff. Absolute bunkum. It's taken decades to get rid of that one. Um, and you see the same kind of, I think, the same kind of approach or the same kind of answers being given about the use of, of uh, black face paint makeup. I'll, I'll talk about wording in a minute or two, but you see the same kind of activity happening, the same kind of approach. Nobody really knows. Nobody knows why they do it. It's just they've always done it since 1980, something or other. Um, and they do it because some other te- team did it. And you boil it down, actually, there's a kind of a point where all this comes from, where there's a few sides in the 70s who started doing this, Virtually everything, everything you see now comes from that sort of route. Uh, the bake-up coconuts are a separate thing, um, which I'll talk about in a bit as well. But there's a lot of copycatting going on, 
And do you know what? I think if most people are honest, it's because they think it looks a bit cool. <laughs> you know, there's a bit it's of a kind good. of a, a pagan-ish kind of feel to it. Um, just looking a bit shocking, you know, to, to make an impact. I think that's part of it as well. But there's other ways to do that. And I think one of the clear things that's been said to sides for a long time in the ring, certainly, is why you're doing it, what you're actually trying to achieve with doing it. Forget the history. Why are you doing it now? when you know what the problems are now and is there another way you could do the same thing that doesn't actually get you into this this trouble um but i think we're past the point where we can just keep kicking the can down the road and asking people to think about it and be responsible and you know consider how other people might perceive what whatever you think how will people perceive it it's gone beyond that point now where we have to say no more you're going to have to meet us halfway now or this issue if you want to keep doing it is actually completely now political because that's how it's that's the sphere in which this argument's going to happen now it's nothing to do with morris anymore um and i think it's gone on to that level yes and i think the whole point to reinforce here is that keeping morris apolitical is important we are entitled to have our own opinions within the world of morris but that's as individuals the whole of morris as as a community is apolitical really by and large there might be certain what's the word groups who hold opinions that align to each other but when we come together to dance it is not for to make it's not to make a political statement it's not to what's the word reinforce one particular political ideal it's purely to celebrate the dance and as you rightly say ed once we start bringing in the politics into it it completely changes the nature of the game itself well i was going to say i think on uh, you know you mentioned that this decision's been made very much with the backdrop of, uh, you know, the Black Lives Matter issue and uh, George Floyd. Um, and, you know, in my opinion, rightfully so, I, th- I think it's something that's anachronistic and easily solved. But I'm interested in the in the timing as well, because obviously it's come out now. But is there any concern that the impression to outsiders might be that this is a concession, that it was somehow a racist statement all along? Do you know what I mean? Well, I, I think, it, again, I, I think you, you have to look at the matter as an internal one to some extent, as in what do we do ourselves? How do we lead on this ourselves? Uh, it, it's not to try and influence public opinion per se, <laughs> although obviously it, that, that's an element of that. Um, I think it only seems like a knee-jerk if you've not been paying attention in Morris. If you haven't seen that the 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 most apart from local level reporting the most uh, common reason why morris dancing gets into the press is because of this and that's been happening for years now what you've purely seen i think happen now very suddenly for, for, for lots of people is a real shift and it's maybe perhaps because of the times we're in with lockdown it's it's concentrating time and change in a way that you wouldn't see normally because there's too many other distractions. But you can't be ignorant of that. You can't discount that and say, well, do you know what? We've been talking about it for five, ten years. We can talk about it for another five or ten years. You know, really? I, I don't think we're in that situation. I think it requires a decisive change now because of the history that's been building up, the pressure that's been building up, the lack of answers from the people that use it as to why they actually are still doing it when so many have changed over that time to move away from it. 
when if you look at a new side starting in 2020, would they start from this as their start point? No. Many sides do border dancing or whatever and wouldn't dream of doing this. Why? The fact you started doing it a long time ago doesn't mean you should keep on doing it now. And a lot of people, I'm afraid, of perhaps not asked that question hard enough. Well, without sort of, um, I mean, you've been naming a couple of sides so far, but what's the response been like from the membership of the ring up till now, particularly those teams that are using uh, blackface makeup? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's been a range of views. I'm sure you'd expect that. And, and the officers will see a lot more than I do because I, I, I you know, I'm not directly in the middle of all of this. Oh, appreciate it, yeah. You know, so I, I, I see some elements of it. Um, I mean, personally, um, I had a chat with Gavin McNulty of, of the uh, Bake Up Nut, Coconutters on Friday night when this, this came out um, and had a video chat with him. We talked over where he'd come from. We, they've got a particular background um, and there's been, uh, probably of all the sides that do it, the most academic work being done on their background, which if you care to read 300 page academic theses about where it comes from, you know, it's pretty mixed, put it that way. Um, and I encourage anybody that's out there to read them. Tess Buckland is, has famously done, done quite a bit of work on this. Um, but I think the, the response overall has been, from what I've seen, sides know they're in trouble. They know this is a problem. Uh, and of the sides of which I, I know the feedback of, which there's not a lot of them in the ring, to be fair, um, but the majority of them that, that have been in touch or, or been contacted by the officers, and I think most of them have by now, um, knew that and were already going to be meeting in some seriousness about this issue before they went back out dancing again because they knew themselves, well, this is a big, big change out there. Um, so in some ways, um, funnily enough, the response we've had from the sides affected has been, yeah, actually, we knew this was going to be a bit of an issue here. We need to talk. Uh, what, what's, what's the approach to this? How can we adapt? What's the options we have? And that's very much what, you know, the ring statement was trying to say the next step actually is in, in the ring, certainly. Um, you know, our AGM, our ARM isn't till March next year. That, that's the timing of this for the ring, just as it happens. Um, that's not deliberate, but it's just how it falls. Um, and between now and then, um, there's a, a real desire for dialogue with these sides to really see what, their position is to really actually answer all these questions we've been asking them to answer for such a long time. Now we have to do that, but we'll do it directly. We'll, we'll do it in the spirit of, you know, openness, but honesty about the problems that we, we, we face and that, you know, unfortunately, I think now there's some red lines that really are imposed on us that we have to work with. Yeah, I see your point, to be fair. Um, sort of now is the time. If there's going to be a time, it is, it is now to, to face up and deal with it. Yeah. Um, but one of the, you know, obviously I, I sort of trawl the, um, Morris sites on Facebook and look at comments and different bits and pieces. But, um, one thing that interests me is, is that it's been stated sort of over and again, that the ring is not a, a regulatory or governing body. Um, has it, a couple of people have said it's gone beyond its remit possibly in the enforcement of the, this new rule in terms of its membership, OG. How would you see that? Yeah, I, I think read the ring statement is, is the first thing. Um, that's, that's about exactly what the position actually is. Um, 
the the constitution and and you know to, to my to my um I don't know if it's credit or shame or, or whatever, but I, I, I've, I've been involved in, in constitutional matters a few times, actually, in the last 10 or, 10 or 11 years. Uh, I've had to read it quite a lot um, to understand what it's really doing. Um, and one of the things about membership of the Morris Ring that it states quite clearly in the Constitution is that membership's open to clubs who endeavour to maintain the standards and dignity of Morris. That's Morris generally, not just what they do within their side, but Morris generally. Um, and I think that is um, played very heavily on the officers' minds as to how that fits with a national organisation looking to promote um, the interests of its members, but also Morris more generally, in an environment where this kind of thing is becoming so focused um, in terms of people's um, advocacy for one viewpoint or another, where there is real, um, I think, anger. Uh, and counter protest about this sort of thing we risk getting caught up in that for um a membership which has a much broader range of concerns where it's a very small amount of sides who, who are in this this kind of area if you like um where we have to weigh really what's the best thing for the morris ring when it comes to how we as, as an organization think about what is what is dignified really here is it getting stuck into an unwinnable political argument about the rights and wrongs of continuing to do something like this, which like almost like the ring changing in a way, as in its makeup started in the 1930s, did that really fit the present day? That's one of the, the themes of the debate in 2018. When you start doing something in the 1970s, does it still make sense today? It might do, but does it? And I think that's the th question that nobody's ever really got to grips with. There's a lot of flannel about history and and theories about you know um why somebody might have done something or other a lot of it based on fairly scant actual source material so breaking down the myths putting it into its modern day setting and saying look this is morris now that's where that constitutional idea of standards and dignity really comes from what these statements have said to member sides is that the officers clearly now think it fails that test it, it's not something which can be justified given every, all the history given all the problems that we know about the things we've had to fend off and try and help deal with um it's reached a breaking point now um throughout external events it was always going to come i didn't think it would come like this i thought actually there'd be a, a mass brawl in the street somewhere or there'd be a court case for, for actual harassment which would blow the whole thing up in some ways this has happened in a, in a completely unexpected way but it's the same thing. It's got too big an issue to ignore now. So I think the, the officers certainly felt that they had to take action because of the standing of the Morris Ring itself and Morris generally, which is the JML element to this. But, and I think this is important to say, um, it takes two stages. One, they will not admit any new side to membership who does this. And the admission of members to the Morris Ring is purely in the gift to the officers to do that, whether it's associates or joint members. Applications for full membership, if somebody were to do that, either internally or as a new joining side, go to a vote at the IRM on the recommendation of the officers. It's clear to say that in the constitution. So there's nothing wrong with saying that. In terms of the membership which do this, what the statement said is, we want to talk. But if you want to keep doing this, 
you're putting yourself in a political argument which is nothing to do with the ring or the ring's objectives and you really ought to do this outside the Maurice ring now. That's advising sides that. But the dialogue next is actually the key thing here. And I think that's the important thing to reinforce here, really, isn't it? Again, this is not the end of the story. This is merely the end of another sentence in it. It's just we are moving on to stage two or whatever you want to call it now as a community about how we go forward from here. I think that's true. And I think that there's a wider context, of course, that we need to understand in that the Federation, uh, Maurice Federation, have got their AGM in late September, um, where they will be putting uh, motions to their meeting about um, an actual ban on membership. Uh, the Open Morris will be doing the same. I think their AGM is in November. Um, so long before we get to our IRM, a lot of these arguments are going to be aired very publicly and, and at length, albeit in other organisations, which will inform, I think, better what we see about this issue internally in the ring. Right now, we want to talk to sides and see what the problem actually really is. And it does say clearly in the statement that further steps may be required and the membership will be updated. And that's really what that's alluding to, that this is not, as you say, Pete, it's not a done and finalised story. It's a developing story now. Yeah. But the most important thing is that the ring officers and the signs affected within the ring are talking, sitting down sensibly to look at the issues, finding some common ground and taking it forward in that sense. And I fully expect that's actually what's going to happen. So backtracking slightly to 2018, uh, there was a comparatively large debate going on within the ring about uh, the admission of female dancers. Now, obviously, you were still Squire at this point in time, and uh, there was a lot of discourse that leading in the leading weeks up to the annual representatives meeting when the change to the constitution was made to the ring to allow female dancers to become full members. Now, looking back, do you think there are parallels to be drawn in terms of the emotion brought, brought to the debate from both sides? I think I think it's 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 an interesting question to answer. Um, I, I think the the difference um, between the two things is is the the change which the ring went through in twenty eighteen was very much a purely internal question. Um, the outside environment hadn't really shifted or changed, apart from other organisations getting bigger and, and us getting smaller. That hadn't really shifted or changed beyond the schisms and fallouts in the mid-1970s, some 45 years earlier, the questions were really the same, um, in essence. Um, and I think that's probably the, I would say, the big difference. I think it's, it's one thing for, the, for us as an organisation internally to decide to change rules about something as fundamental as that, which the, the, the bar on, on gender you know, a diversity, if you like, in the ring, went back to its founding kind of moments in the 1930s. That's, a, that's a, almost a, a sense of identity for a whole organisation that you're talking about there, which is what, um, you know, that vote really became about um, in its modern context. Um, but that's quite different. And I think it's not about an external change coming along to say, this is something which an element of your organisation is doing, which, you know, is causing massive problems as part of a wider issue outside it's like you know do we really still want to keep doing this um and i think it had a very different feel in terms of the emotions to it you know any change is emotional any change is going to cause arguments and debate and it's going to um draw out strong opinions uh, one way or the other um 
I have to say that debate, you know, took place in a, in a, in a very civil manner in the end um, with, with a fair bit of stage managing. Um, and I think it's one of, one of the important things I want to say about that uh, is what the vote actually was about was removing references to gender in terms of membership in the constitution, which has a wider meaning than saying it's allowed women to join. That's not what it did. It, it, it did something quite different. And that was, you know, not, not, not a, an accident that it worked like that. Uh, but that was an internal issue. And this is not an internal issue. It's actually almost the, the complete opposite. It's an external issue, which demands that we as an organization have to react to. Um, well, one question that we've asked all of our guests so far, which of course currently total uh, one, that being Jane Cox on the last podcast, um, is who is your favourite team who you've never danced for? Well, that's interesting, you know, and, and I did listen to your first podcast and I did listen to Jen uh, and Pete discussing their, their Morris Tartary, which was a very, very revealing conversation i thought um and i should say at this point i knew pete austin before he danced i remember going to a jockey practice where he was still oh yes cheesy cheesy piece on the melodeon i think i think the line is i like cheesy before it was cool is that i I met him before he was cool i'll get there haven't we all at some point (laughs) well i think we're recording this podcast before he's cool but anyway oh wow (laughs) <laughs> to come back to the the, the, the point, um, it's a funny one because, I, I, as I said earlier, I danced uh, initially with Green Oak Morris, Cotswold signing Doncaster. So I, I was four years a Cotswold dancer um, before moving to Saddleworth, uh, and I've done 20 years dancing with them. But I've only been in two sides. I've never danced multiple sides at the same time. Um, so I am the complete opposite to a Morris Tart, whatever that actually is. I don't know. Um, well, it's Pete. Uh, yeah, 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 I think that's true. Uh, so it's, it's actually kind of quite hard to imagine dancing for another team. Is kind of where I was going with that. Um, I think you know the teams I've seen where I thought, you know, that's something else. I think you'd have to look at some of the 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 rapper teams that you see. I went, I went to Dirt when it was in Sheffield, first one I've been yeah. to. I was due to go to Lincoln this year, and of course got cancelled. So I was a bit gutted about that. Um, yeah, a lot of us were. Yeah, absolutely. But. but um, the, the the sort of teams I didn't see the showcase in the evening, but I watched uh, a lot of teams in a couple of the pubs. Ended up in Shakespeare's in Sheffield by pure chance, obviously. Um, uh, what a marvelous place! But the just the the well, not, not the variety as such, because obviously rappers can look a bit samey. But just the sheer attack of some of the teams doing that was just breathtaking, and and of in some ways, you know, I, I kind of think that's. When you look at Northwest, really good Northwest, you know, to, to me, and I know I'm biased, but and I'm not talking about Saddleworth now. I, I can't, I couldn't possibly do that. But you look at a, a great Northwest team, you know, clogs flying, really going for it, big band, strong beats, precision, and those the, kind of the ethic for me feels quite similar. Looking at rapper, it's that kind of uh, they're both quite urban Morris styles in terms of when they were at their peak. It's in in urban settings. You know, long after all the, the old ploughboys and the Cotswold had dropped dead, uh, that Cecil Sharp was talking to. Um, and and I've, I've always been very suspicious. Is there really a difference between a hook leg and a galley? I'm not sure. 100%, absolutely. Depends you on the form you talk to, I believe. Right, if, okay. if, if anyone's asking that question, they can't do a galley properly. 
Okay, well, I'm I'm from a northwest team, so I I, I can ask as an innocent. Member of jockey, I can tell you, we do have two. They are quite distinctive figures, but for some, they're not. So we'll have well, to agree, agree to disagree on that one. Having, having seen jockey, there's more than two distinctive figures that you wheel out. <laughs> but I, I think you know, I, I think I'd have to say rapper really kind of you know from the outside. I've played it a little bit, but not seriously. But you see a good rapper team, and it's just like blimey you you just want to do that you see that in a packed pub one of the one of the highlights of when i was squire because you get to invite yourself to lots of events when you're morris ring squire is great <laughs> um but i invited myself along to monk seaton's new year's day of dance in monk seaton of course itself in newcastle or near newcastle and they dance out at uh, midday outside the ship the pub in, in monk seaton uh, and do a bit of a show and they do a, a, like a mama's play and all sorts of bits and pieces and then they do the the rapid dance in each bar in each pub in Monkseen. Okay. Which is about 10 pubs. And they've been doing this in like 40 odd years. It's, it's become a big New Year's Day tradition up there. And the collect for charity doing it. And every bar is rammed to the gills. I mean, rammed to the gills. I was astonished. And they just about, just about get enough to get a rapper set in there in each pub. And they're thundering away and the music going, everybody's cheering on it. It's just like, if this doesn't put has any back and neck up, nothing in Morris ever will. That's just amazing. And I think that's the the one thing I've seen where I've just thought, you know, that that's wow. That is wow. I can never do that, but wow. Um that and of course that and being rush guard jockey, of course. That's that's the ultimate, obviously. Well I, I was gonna say, how, how long have you been dancing already? I've been dancing with Saddles for twenty years. So uh, you've done your turn as a rush cart jockey, haven't you, a couple of years ago? It was back in 2011. Oh, yeah. blimey. Well, I was going to say, what's your what's your sort of defining Morris moment? What's your favourite memory? But I'm kind of guessing you might have already mentioned it just now. <laughs> yeah, do you know, it, it's... Um, I think looking back, um, and it sounds like, you know, some, some really boring old fart now, but I think looking back, that was... Oh, the catch is coming. Um <laughs> Being rush cart jockey was was an amazing experience. I think you've talked to any Saddleworth dancer who's done it. It is because by the time you get there, you've probably been in the team about 10 or 12 years because you go onto a list when you join, you're the next one on the list and it shuffles up as people do it. Um, and you put a lot, a lot of shift in really to get that, that far into the team. But then suddenly that, the rush cart's over and it, oh, blimey, it's me next. Oh, bloody hell. <laughs> uh, you know, and it actually gets a bit scary. Um, but you've got to make the banner, so you you name the cart. You put everything that's on the banner is, is up to you. And then you think, you know, you're really looking forward to that moment to be able to name a cart and it's yours. And you get there and it's like, oh, no, what if I do a really rubbish one? What if, what if I put it on and nobody <laughs> likes it? And I you're think stressed we can about say, it. In all the years of Rush Cart, there's never been a rubbish banner. When you, get, when you go into church well, on Sunday morning. you say morning. that, but, you know, I couldn't possibly comment. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you, 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 there's a huge amount of pressure. And I remember on the Rush Cart Saturday morning, uh, and I was Stone Cold Solibra, I hasten to add. But stood at the bottom of the letter and uh, the lad to get on the car and, and I, my kind of legs went a bit and I was a bit like, blimey. <laughs> you know, it was it was a bit of a moment, you know. Um, and then you kind of get over it and get on there and, and it's, after about five minutes, it's just like the best thing ever, ever. Uh, and I, because as you all know, you, you've been to a rush car, but when you're on, as a jockey, you're only allowed off at certain times in the day. So your your fluid your fluid strategy has to be quite careful. <laughs> I love the that way. Um, so 
I, I thought it was a great idea to take a, a hip flask full of whiskey up there with me. And somebody else thought it was a great idea to give me another one, which I wasn't expecting. Um, so I, I was feeling no pain whatsoever by, by Dobcross. Um, was, it, was it not the case that the jockey was not allowed down at all in the, in the earlier years? Or is that uh, sort of urban myth? Well, the, the route's changed, really, because it used to stop at more pubs. Um, in fact, it used to stop, I think, at every pub. Um, and obviously that got, we quickly realised that was actually a complete nightmare because uh, you never got anywhere. Um, so it became a bit more stylized as it is now. Um, but it's, it's always been roughly the same. Um, you know, you, you get off at lunchtime, get off in Delft, and that's it pretty much, actually. Um, but with the route to Delft changing, it means it's a different time in the afternoon. Oh, yeah, of course. Because it used to be later on in the afternoon when you got off, so which actually was probably better. Uh, but you stay on it a lot longer on the way back, which is, of course, when, you know, your fluid strategy really becomes very important. Um, but I remember uh, getting off uh, as the cart parks back up at um, the commercial on a Saturday tea time and climbing off the ladder, and I just burst into tears. It's the weirdest thing. And I was really happy. I was full of whiskey, but I was really happy. <laughs> And I just got a big hug off Richard Hankinson. <laughs> it was just like... <laughs> yes, and it's worth saying thing. for uh, people who don't necessarily know him, Richard's not a, what's the word, um, slight fellow by any stretch. He's definitely sort of, uh, of, of a, a good, solid Lancashire build. Absolutely. And he was, of course, Squire of Saddleworth Morris at the time. Um, and I think that whole the whole thing, looking back on it, is, it's, it's kind of like a lot of things that you do that you're so looking forward to and you build up to and you get there and it's fantastic and then like the next week it's like I'm never going to do that again because you never do because once you're the jockey you go back to the bottom of the list so technically you could but of course nobody ever will because there's always new people joining and going in front of you Yeah. and that was a real kind of like the best thing and almost kind of a bit like the worst because once you've done it you haven't got it to look forward to anymore and it was kind of it's kind of weird but it, it's got to be well up there I mean you know Obviously, being Squire in the Ring was was amazing. Um, it was a lot of hard work. It was a lot of hate mail. Uh, I'll tell you <laughs> that for sure. <laughs> um, it was a lot of social media, a lot of stuff. But, a, you know, huge amount of um, engagement with people in Morris I'd never met or would never have met. Um, a lot of working with Fed in the Open in the JMO, which was, was hugely rewarding to see, you know, being able to make bigger issues, um, you know, happen um, and promote what the ring's about at that sort of level. Um, and just some of the people you meet along the way. I mean, you know, Steve Adams and BFB, um, who, you know, sadly was lost some years ago. I took over from him as treasurer. when I became treasurer back in 2009. Um, and that was lovely. And he was, he was, a, he was a real character. He was, he was irascible was a word that's been used or grumpy, if you like. Um, but I met him the first day I was ever out in Morris Kit. Um, when I was on a, an Easter tour at Bradford. And you look back at some points like that and you realise actually they meant more than you realised at the time. And I think we all kind of get that in Morris. You all kind of do things that mean more than you yeah. realise at the time. And of course, the friendships you make as well. As you say, some fantastic characters within the world of Morris. And yeah, oh, yeah. you can't beat it, can you? Really? Absolutely. I mean, it's, um, you know, I remember going back to when I started standing at the bus stop the, se the second week having been bought a pint the first week, a pint, um, I stood at the bus stop on the Wednesday night to go to the next practice thinking, what am I doing this for? Why am I doing this? And I thought, well, at least it's a pint at the end of the night, you know. And for about the first th three or four weeks, that's what I thought. And then like the fifth week, you're thinking, I'm not looking forward to this. <laughs> and that's when you're hooked. 
and that's it. Thanks for listening, everyone. Next episode will be our Morris in Lockdown review. We hope to have several guests on, and we'd also love to hear your contributions about what you've been getting up to Morris-related during lockdown. Any contributions can be left at anchor.fm forward slash Morris Call. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, yeah, we'll see you next time. Goodbye.